Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. See, because today what I'm talking about is the enemy. I'll just, I'll just say, I'm not, I'm not trying to plug. I think this resource will actually help you. If you can't afford it, we will give it to you. So it's not about the money. It's about helping you. This book, Satan Unmasked, written by my pastor, Jim Richards, it is incredible. You've, you've read it. It's so, several people in here have read it. But, so today I'm talking about the enemy. You know, the enemy that robs, the enemy that destroys, the enemy that kills, the enemy that keeps you from experiencing everything that Jesus paid for you to have, and that enemy is your thoughts. Right? I'm going to deal with the devil today, but the enemy that you're really dealing with is what's going on right here. The lies that you believe and the perceptions that we carry, and then the power that we give to someone who's already defeated. But I wanted to address the, the, the tongues topic because it came up, and, and I feel like it fits. Um, we were back in, in service uh, before first service praying, and, you know, like every church member does right now, we were talking about politics and, you know, what's going on. So Caitlin and, and Renee both uh, brought some interesting points up, and Caitlin just brought up the topic of it's hard to know how to pray. Like, let's say you have a particular uh, a value or issue that you would like to see actually reinstated back into this country or just appreciated or whatever, and maybe there's a particular candidate that you feel is moving in that direction. How do you pray? What are you supposed to do? First off, I don't think the presidents that we get are picked by God. We pick them. Somebody picks them. You know, we, maybe there's the illusion that we... No, I'm not going to go there, but... <laughs> I have hope in the, in the system can be recaptured, right? So anyway, the point is we have a voice, we have authority... On this planet as humans, on this planet as children of God, and in this country as Americans, as citizens. So do we get who God wants to be in office? I don't think so always. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. We choose. We get to choose. That's why we got to get out there and vote. God has a particular way that he wants us to govern. He, he's shown us that in his law and his moral code. He has a way that would teach us how to best govern and live on this planet together as a body, but he doesn't always get his will. It's filtered through us. He's given us dominion on this planet. We make choices, and we have ultimately on this planet the result of what we have chosen. The same is true in your life. Your life is pretty much a product of your choices. I don't like that. It's the devil's fault. Okay, we'll deal with that today too. Now, there are injustices that happen. I get that. There are things that come into your life that you didn't invite, you didn't choose. Something happened to you beyond your control, and it was not fair to you, and you're left with how you deal with it. But you still have a choice of how you're going to respond to it, whether that happened to you when you were 5, 10, 15, or 59. You understand what I'm saying? You have power over this heart of yours, and ultimately your life, and what you choose is what you're going to get. In fact, today is the result of your thoughts from yesterday. So if you want tomorrow to look like today, then just keep thinking of the same thoughts as yesterday. But if you want a different tomorrow, you got to change the way you think. You have to change the way you expect. You have to change the processes of what you choose. See, we all think one day we're going to change and then our life's going to get better. Well, it starts right now. And that's what we're going to talk about more than the devil is the battle that's going on in our minds and our hearts. But the idea of authority on this planet, the idea of where we're going to see where we are in the body of Christ and what he has done to the demonic realm and our responsibility as believers, as children of God, and as citizens of a sovereign nation, we have to choose. We have to choose the direction that we want to go, get into agreement with the truth that governs that direction and make choices in agreement with that. Are you following me? Yes. But in the midst of that, 
We have the power to pray. We have the power to speak. We have the power to influence what's going on, whether it be a vote, whether it be a prayer for someone, whether it be the job that you choose, whatever it is, you have to decide to choose to use your influence for whatever it is that you feel like you are called to do. So when it comes to prayer specifically, I, you know, it came up and I felt like it applied and, and Sam told me that I should keep it in because the first service I wasn't sure, but it, it does apply. But it's the idea of prayer. How do you pray, right? What are we supposed to pray? We're supposed to pray for our leaders. What do you pray? How do you pray? I don't know what to pray always. You know, my guy's out of the race, so there's another guy that I'm getting behind. How do I pray for him? What do I know? What is it that he needs? I can't call him up and say, hey, what do you need, you know? What, what are we supposed to pray? Maybe you have friends and family in your, your life and you, you need to pray for them. How do you pray for them? What do you do? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that praying, you, we all speak English, do you believe that praying in English makes a difference? Okay. So some of you do not speak in tongues. That's okay. It doesn't make you any less spiritual. It's not something that you have to get from God that you don't already have. As we saw last week, the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in Christ, and that fullness dwells in you because you have said yes to Jesus. There's not an element of God or a capacity or power of God that you don't already have. It's just a choice. Are you operating in it or not? Praying in tongues is not some mystical, charismatic thing that makes us weird. It's just very simply this. When you don't know how to pray in English, you can yield to the influence of the Spirit. He will teach you the words to say, and you can speak those. And it is just like you praying in English, but it's what God is inspiring you to speak. Because I don't talk a lot about it in here. I'm not trying to hide it. It's just... I don't know, I just follow God through this process, and, you know, it is what it is. So, But if you believe that praying in English works, it's really just the same thing of how praying in tongues works. It's you as a child of God on this planet having dominion over this realm, speaking into it, influencing it, and it responding to your prayer. It's like if you were to try to explain how praying in English works to someone else, that's really the same way you would explain how praying in tongues works. It's not that different. It's just the influence is coming. Instead of it coming from your intellect, you are in faith that you are in agreement with God and you are speaking. So in the upper room, when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit or tarrying, tarrying, waiting. waiting, they were waiting. <laughs> Boys were waiting for the Holy Spirit. <coughs> We're not waiting for the Holy Spirit. That was a one-time thing that God poured out the Holy Spirit. Individuals absolutely have to respond each time, but the Holy Spirit is here. When you say yes to God, when you are born again, when you are born from above, when you are born of the Spirit, all those are the same thing. The Spirit of God takes up residence within you as He's cleansing you and making you holy. The capacity to yield to Him in your heart and use your authority in your mouth and your tongue is in there. It's just a matter of you doing it. Now, if you're like me, you tried it and you thought, I don't know, this, this doesn't feel real. I wonder if it's real. Is anything really happening? Somebody's laughing. You've been there. I mean, it's like for the first year that I tried Well, let's say it was probably about five years that I'd been born again that I heard about the gift and tried. And then for the next year, I would try sometimes. And ultimately, I just had to come to the conclusion, I'm just going to believe that it's working. So to the degree that you believe praying in English works, it's really just the same adjustment that praying in tongue works. It's just that you're not having to come up with what you're saying. You're letting God inspire you. Do you see that? Do you believe praying in English works? It's no different than praying in an unknown tongue. It's not weird. It's not mystical. So it's a matter of what do you say? What do you do? How do you do it? That's where the Holy Spirit, you get along with the Holy Spirit, and you trust by faith that as you open your mouth, 
And whatever comes out that it is in agreement with God from your heart and it's going out and being effective, just like you standing there praying in English goes out and is effective. So in the upper room, it says when the Holy Spirit was given, they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who spoke? Wait a minute. You sure it wasn't God arresting them and giving them a Holy Ghost fit? You know. I mean, that's what some people are waiting on. Does God make you get saved? Does God make you get healed? Does God make you give? Does God make you pray for other people? Does God make you love people? God's not going to make you pray in tongues either. That's not the way it works. It's an act of faith. By grace through faith, it's your choice. It is a little weird. I admit that. But it's spiritual. It's powerful. So how do you pray for people? My, my, honestly, my first answer is always pray in tongues over that person. You know? You've got a candidate. You've got a spouse. You've got a child. You've got maybe God has called you to pray for the nation of Uganda. What do you do? How do you pray? Pray in tongues. How does that work? What is, the, what is it that makes that effective? So somebody asked that question. What is it that makes praying in tongues effective? And, and this is the illustration that came to me, and I hope it makes sense to you. But praying in tongues or any kind of prayer, it's just like drinking water for your body, right? So you have water. Your body needs it. Your body needs it to stay hydrated. It keeps your cells healthy. It keeps your organs moving. It, keeps, it, it goes where it needs to go, right? When you drink water, do you tell it what it's supposed to do? Do you tell it which cells it needs to go repair? Do you tell it which organ it needs to replenish and work on? No, you don't, you, don't even, you don't even think about it. You drink it and you go. You don't think about that your body then takes that and assimilates it and goes out to your system and it makes your blood healthier. And the more water that you drink and the less sodas that you drink, it's actually helping you and, and your immune system stay healthy. You don't even think about that. Some of you might. But you're not sitting there going, okay, now... My red blood cells need to assimilate it this way, and I need to take it in my, I mean, I've got this deficiency in my liver right now, and so on. You know, you don't think about that. Tongues is the same way. It goes where it needs to go. It's like, it's like the Holy Spirit is, stand, is inside of you just waiting to be able to touch a particular area because you have dominion on this planet. The Holy Spirit is waiting to get out of you, and as you speak, it's just like that water. It goes where it needs to go, and it makes a difference. So pray. When you don't know what to pray, pray in tongues. If you don't know how to pray in tongues, come up here after the service and we will help you. There's a great little book that Kenneth Hagin wrote. It's called Why Tongues. I actually want to get some of those for the bookstore. If Kena, y'all help me remember that. That it's, it's just, you know, it's good. Because I know we bring, we, this is a church that's unique because we meet in the middle at Jesus, you know. A bunch of people that have been running with God for a long time and maybe come from the extremes of charismania come back to Jesus and people that are traditional or have never met him, not trying to group those together, but they come to Jesus as well. And it's like we just meet in the middle at him. So I know we've got a broad spectrum. And the tongue stuff is weird for some people. But it's, it doesn't have to be when you understand that it's just like you praying in English. Yes. Because you have authority. And why do you have authority? Because God chose to put you in Christ and give you the same seat in heaven and of authority over this realm, and even in his kingdom. You know, it's kind of like you're opening the door to the kingdom through your mouth, and it spills out onto this planet, and it just goes where it needs to go. People talk about there's open portals, and this church has an open portal, and that church has this. It's like, you're the portal. You are the gate through which heaven comes onto this planet and into this planet and manifests. So... <clears throat> The enemy loves to stop that process, but he only does it to the degree that you let him. Demons, devils, man, they get, they get way too much credit. That fallen angel, Lucifer, gosh, he gets a lot of credit, doesn't he? You've probably never even met him. But he gets a lot of credit. 
trying to decide in the first service I went through this whole Nephilim thing. Y'all want to hear about the maybe where demons might have come from, or you just want to keep going? Go for it. She's like, keep going. One person's yes. That's a landmine question right there, right? There were fallen angels that came to earth, mated with women, and their offspring were giants, and it was a corrupt race on the planet. That's in Genesis, and it's, and it's talked about in um, Jude, and it's talked about in another place as well. Those were Nephilim. If you read the book of Enoch, which I'm not trying to say is inspired or should be in the Bible, but it do, it's the only book that talks about where the demonic spirits came from. I mean, we all believe that they're out there, so they had to come from somewhere. I don't really believe that they're the fallen angels. I think they are the spirits of those dead offspring of the fallen angels' children. That's what Enoch says, and there's a couple other places that it's referenced that. If you, re, if you look into the folklore that's in Babylonian mythology, Sumerian, Greek, Egyptian, all of that, that have reference back to the ancient sky gods that came down and brought us knowledge and taught us how to govern, all ancient civilizations have that same story that these beings came from somewhere to this planet and taught us things. Those were fallen angels. They weren't aliens from another planet. They weren't a, 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 a far advanced version of humans. They were fallen angels. It's all right. You can laugh. I looked at her when she laughed. She's like, oh. So anyway, y'all, I know I'm getting, I know I'm like rambling a little bit. I'll get it back on track. But you ever watch that show Ancient Aliens? Has anybody ever seen that? Ancient alien theorists say that the Bible is not true and aliens are real. You know, pretty much that's what they say. That's where that stuff comes from. The pre-flood world probably looked more like uh, Lord of the Rings than it does like it looks right now. I mean, there were some strange things happening to the degree that humankind became so corrupt that that's probably what drove God to flood the planet because the bloodline of the human race had become so corrupt by these beings that God was like, I need to protect the bloodline. So when it says that Noah was the only pure one left on the planet, it's probably referring to his genetic code, not so much the way he was living. I mean, you know, we don't know. Those are things that you just hypothesize. In fact, it's so off the wall that I thought I would never teach it from the pulpit, it, you know, except for today, maybe another time. But I wrote, I, I, I put it into fi a fiction book. I'm not just trying to plug books today, but that one I'm not giving away. <laughs> but that's how, that's how I wanted it, because I wanted people to be aware of it. But so all of that, where do demons come from? If you look at the ancient races that talk about those beings on the planet, what they were seeking to do was set themselves up as gods over mankind. That's why when you look at demonic activity on this planet today, it correlates to what those beings were doing back then. They, in Greek mythology, in Egyptian mythology, Babylonian, Sumerian, all of those different areas, it talked about those beings as gods over people and enslaved humankind. And, and there was like even this cannibalism thing going on. It was all about shaming humankind corrupting the bloodline, and controlling and dominating humans, which is exactly what the demonic realm tries to do to you. It tries to shame you. tries to keep you weak. But it can only do that in the areas where you already believe the lie that they reinforce. So I'm just going to give you, I'm going to talk a little bit, and then we're going to jump on some scripture. But a demon is like a radio station. It's sending out its message, like there are doctrines of demons, right? That's taught that in the end times there would be doctrines of demons and you know, keep us astray. A doctrine of a demon is like a radio station, and this is about how they work as well. Your heart is the receiver, and if you want to, you can tune to that WDVL station, you know, and, 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 and the lie 
You can tune to it, or you can tune to God's truth. WGOD, there we go. <laughs> From the radio guy. Which one do you want to listen to? See, because you have selective hearing and it happens on a subconscious level, you don't even have to think about it, but your heart is choosing which one you're going to listen to. You do it. Trust me, I know you do it. You guys, when you're watching sports or whatever and your wife walks in the room and says, hey, will you do this? And you're like, you didn't even hear it. Does <laughs> that ever happen? Or maybe you ladies are watching Fixer Upper, you know, and Joanne is just, just about to place that vase right in that perfect spot. And your husband walks in and says, hey, we didn't, she's like, she doesn't even hear you. <laughs> Did I lose you on that one? It's true. Too close to home, right. You don't even, you, you are, you're focused. It's not that you're saying, I am going to ignore my wife. It comes across that way, right? Do you even listen? What? That's what we do with the enemy and with God. It's a other than conscious thing that's happening at a heart level and you're going, to che you're going to listen with what you have at a, at a deeper than conscious level, what you have chosen to put your attention on. So if your heart is full of the truth of God, then you're going to hear what agrees with that, right? In fact, if you were to walk in to someone that's ignoring you watching TV and you start talking to them about what they're watching, they, they'll talk to you about it. It's like because you then get on the same wavelength that they're thinking, that's how the enemy is. He's broadcasting his lies. And if you believe that lie in your heart, you will be influenced by it. If you don't, he has no power. He cannot make you sick. He cannot place thoughts in your head, like touch your mind and make you think something, any more than I can, which is only by the power of suggestion. Right? Like, I can influence your thinking because you're choosing to listen to me and you might think about what I'm saying. It's the same thing with the enemy, and it's the same thing with God, except God lives in you and gives you power. The devil doesn't live in you. The devil has no more power over you than my words do. It's just your choice. That's why we focus so much on the heart around here, because the condition of your heart, that whatever the roots of your heart are growing into, that's what you're going to feed from. So if you're remembering your past and you're focused on the shame and the guilt and what you did yesterday and you're letting yourself feel the emotions of your past, you will most likely listen to the enemy in that area, which then gets developed what the Bible calls a stronghold. The stronghold is not the presence of the demon. The stronghold is the belief. You remove the belief the demon has nothing to hold on to. You remove the stronghold. You cast down the stronghold. It has nothing to hold on to. And I'm about to show you legally why that's true, spiritually and physically. No power at all whatsoever in your life. Amen? I just realized that in the first service, I totally forgot to explain the second part of where we're about to go. So we're going to have to use the second one for this. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute. We are, as a reminder, we're in a series, right? I'm probably going to change the name of it to uh, The Lies We Believe. Right now it's called Why Do Smart People Believe Dumb Things About God? <laughs> Number one, the first message is God is angry, right? We talked about how Jesus was the, was the propitiation, the satisfaction of the wrath of God towards sin. So God is angry is one lie, we believe. Number two, you need more of God. Number three was last week, God will make you feel guilty. And we talked about the difference between condemnation and conviction. All this stuff is on the website. So today, the message is, the devil has rights when you sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the devil has rights when you sin? Because some people do. Some people's whole ministry is based on how you have given the enemy right in your life. But you can't. You don't have the right to give away. You don't have the legal authority to give the enemy the right. And I'll show you why. Colossians 2 and verse 8. 
Are y'all with me so far? I don't know if it's the coffee or I'm just really excited about this topic. <laughs> Colossians 2, verse 8. So just a little bit of a backstory. Pull, pull that down just for one second. Uh, as we've been talking about in this whole series, Paul wrote the letters that he wrote to get the churches back on track that he had either started or some of his disciples had started. Most of the letters that Paul wrote were to refute legalism or Gnosticism. Gnosticism was that you, your physical form in this physical realm is evil. God is not directly connected to it. There are these different emanations off of God that come toward us. And so it invalidates the, the, the incarnation of Jesus as being God. It invalidates that we are actually connected with God, connected to spirit, because this evil flesh realm can't be connected to the good spiritual realm. And so we still have Gnosticism in the church because we think that we have to somehow get out of this dimension and into that dimension as if it's separate to connect to God or get him to show up. Does that make sense? And man, we get into some goofy stuff when we try that. Like, I'm going to press into the heavenlies. I'm going to try to go in. It's like, no, you, if you, the way that you know you're in the Spirit is if the Spirit's in you. It's a continuum of the same energetic realm. It's just in the flesh, it's one frequency, and in heaven and eternity, it's a different. But you have to go through Christ to be able to function with God. I'll make you think today. <clears throat> So Paul is refuting Gnosticism and he's refuting legalism. And he deals with pantheism in a, lot of, uh, in a lot of these areas too. Pantheism is this. The way we believe it or hear it today is, you know, you might have even heard it. The universe brought me this job. The universe has the right spouse for me and it will come together when it happens. Or, you know, the universe, you ever, have you heard this language? Maybe people that talk about the, the law of attraction, it's the universe that's bringing things to them. And what they mean by the universe is, a, is an impersonal God, a God that will do things for you or a, a way of the, the world functioning that's independent from an intelligence that you are accountable to. That's pantheism. That was evident. And, and present in a lot of the early church, and, and Paul deals with it here. It's, it's really interesting how he deals with it. So, all right, now let's go to verse 8. This is Colossians 2, 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. There is a lot of philosophy. And, and it, see, this is how a cult works. A cult might have a way of you dealing with a past issue that really does help you. And so you go and get around those people and what they have developed for that specific area works. And so you think, oh my goodness, because this works, then everything they believe works. So I need to start going through audits and trying to release, you know, uh, ancient alien people from the volcanoes that are trapped in Uganda or whatever, you know. That's kind of a Scientology amalgamation, but anyway. So deceptive philosophies that get you off of Jesus ultimately is what that stuff does. If you start having a worldview or a spiritual understanding that gets you off of Jesus, thinking that you need special revelation or some other kind of information other than Christ in you, you're starting to fall for one of these deceptive philosophies. So which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. What he's talking about here, the elemental spiritual forces of the world, for us the language is the light, the clear light, the universe. Back then they talked more about wind, water, earth, fire, and then they were looking for a fifth essence, a quintessence that made it all work together. And they just labeled that as, you know, the function of God without the personal revelation of a God. So... The universe language is what he's dealing with. That's just the way they said it back then. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Stay there for a minute. What Paul is doing is dealing with the thoughts that there are all these gods out there. There is this vast unknowable force. And he's saying, no, all of those forces that you've been thinking, all of that way of thinking is actually 
pulled together in Christ. And Christ is actually the deity over all of that. It's in one deity, and that's Christ. Christ is supreme. Christ is preeminent. He is the, all, he is the authority, and everything else is in subjection under him. Anything that exists, any force, any way of interaction with the universe that you can imagine is not outside the realm of the authority of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. And in him, verse 10, you have been brought to fullness. King James says you are complete in him. See, he starts to attach you personally to this authority. You're not separate from the universe. You are connected. You are accountable to this God, this power, this authority. And he is the head over every power and authority. Verse 11, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by hands. All right, that's talking about. Now, next week I'm going to deal with, I think I am, if I stay on topic, the question, do you have a sin nature? See, if you don't understand the language of how to talk about a sin nature, you miss that this is one of the pivotal points that talks about that a believer does not have a sin nature. A believer doesn't have the white dog and the black dog, a dual nature within them fighting and whichever one you feed is the one that's going to manifest. No. You've heard that teaching, the white dog, black dog thing? In him, in this one that is preeminent, that every authority is subject to, there, the circumcision, which is your whole self ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now, the circumcision that was instated through um, the Old Covenant was a symbol, a physical symbol of what would happen spiritually when you are actually truly circumcised. The circumcision that happens to you is in your spirit. He cuts off the fleshy part. He cuts off the sin nature and removes that root of sin from you, puts a new heart within you that's full of his law, that's encoded with his law, and he puts his spirit within you. Do you see that? He removes the flesh part. In other words, the part of you that's trying to be good enough on your own, that's what the flesh is. The flesh represents your intellect, your best effort in your own strength, and the flesh does not inherit the kingdom, but faith does. Do you see this? It's a really big deal that you catch this. I'm going to go into it more next week. But... So all of this authority that's over everything, you are personally connected to it. He did something to you inside of you to remove the part that was separating you from him so you could be connected to him. Verse 12, having been buried with him in his baptism, or in baptism, in which you were also raised in... See, that's baptism in the spirit, not water baptism. Some people say you got to get water baptized. This is talking about being baptized in spirit. Being born, of the, being born of the Spirit, in which you were also raised with him. Were you raised with him through water? I know we're in the South. In which you are also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. So your faith in the working of God is what qualified you to be involved in his resurrection, who, who raised him from the dead, verse 13 who when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, is he talking about old covenant circumcision or is he talking about the circumcision of the heart? Okay. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, verse 14. Having now, okay, that's the spiritual part. He removed the root of sin out of you. It's your choice if you stay in sin or not based on what you believe. He removed the nature of sin out of you when he circumcised you. And so then he deals with the physical part. He also canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, or King James says the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which stood against us to condemn and condemned us. He has taken it out of the way. So he starts with the spiritual part. He deals with the part that's keeping you separated from God. Then he, starts, then he deals with the physical part, this law that you couldn't keep. He removes that out of the way. It's, this is incredible. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, verse 15. Then 
This is where you are in him in a position of authority because he has made you righteous in spirit, because he has removed the external standards of you having to keep the law to be righteous. Now he then deals with how the rest of all of these powers, remember he started resetting these guys saying there's this, there's this power out there, but it's really Jesus. You're one in him. You're complete in him. And now, because you are in him, that's also dealt with all these other forces that you think you're fighting with out there. Do you see, what, do you see where we're going? So, having disarmed the power and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Did we do 16 as well? Go to 16, let's just see. Verse 16. Okay, yeah, go back to 15. So <clears throat> what he's saying is any power that exists is subject to the authority of Jesus. You are in him. You have been changed at the root of the kind of being that you are to be in him. There is no external law to be held against you that gives any authority or power a right to come against you because he defeated all those powers. The devil does not have rights into your life when you sin. Now, sin still reaps death, destruction. The longer you stay in it, the quicker you die, the quicker everything around you will die but not because you're given not because the devil is making it happen not because your seventh generation grandfather was a mason and sacrificed a chicken and you're dealing with the curse you're still dealing with the curse that's on your life because of that some of y'all know what I'm talking about you've been there people believe this stuff that because of what your seventh generation grandfather did there is a curse on your life that has to be broken off of you now, if you actually believe what a curse really is, that might have some substance. A curse is just a spoken negative. A curse is not some spiritual document out there that's signed by some, you know, personal devil that is, has authority in your life because of what your seventh generation grandfather did. But that's how we see these things. It's like, let me cut it off of you and cut this thing and we're, and we're good. Like, now I've cut it. Really? Now, I get the prophetic act of doing those kinds of things, and I know I get a little sarcastic toward that stuff. Don't take it personally, please, if you do that. I'm not against you. Just make sure that you're validating that person and who they are in Christ. And if you do that prophetic act, keep it according to the gospel. Amen? Amen. Don't judge people that do it that way. But if they, if, they, if, they, if they think that that prophetic act is what actually breaks the power of the devil run like the wind all that should do is serve a purpose to get you to connect to the truth that christ is in you and that is the authority that sets you free from any power that could ever try to come against you amen so <clears throat> triumphing over them in it is this and you've probably heard this but when a king when, when two nations would battle and one nation would win they had a practice of the conquering king going to the failed king, the conquered king, either cutting his hands or thumbs off, cutting his big toe or feet off so he could never run or never hold a sword to battle again, stripped him naked, tied him up behind the king's, the triumphant king's horse, dragged him into the kingdom of the triumphant king and said to all his subjects and citizens, this is the king that was trying to come against you. I have defeated him, and because you are in my kingdom, you share in my victory. You are triumphant because you live in my kingdom, and this king has no more authority. He is publicly shamed and can never affect you again. That is what God has done through Jesus to the devil on your behalf. You have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Because you are a citizen of heaven, you share in Jesus' eternal triumphant victory. 
the enemy cannot come against you other than making you believe a lie that you're already victorious or that you're not already victorious. Which one are you going to believe? Now, the reason we so willingly play those games and stay trapped in that stuff is because in our hearts, we feel guilty. We feel ashamed. We, we carry these burdens of our past. We look at ourselves and we don't see Jesus. We see our old man. We don't realize that we were dead, that we have died and have been resurrected or raised in him. When you still struggle with sin, whether it be emotional, mental, an actual physical act, whatever it is, whatever that realm manifests for you, it's because you don't know that Jesus has already won that battle and you have not connected to it to the degree that you let it bear fruit in your life. But praise God, the handwriting of ordinances against you is not holding that sin against you. See, that's more than just fancy preaching. That's more than just a feel-good message. That is a spiritual, legal transaction that was enacted in the blood of Christ that God cannot hold those sins against you because the law that was set in place that gave them power against you has been removed from you. It would be like if the law of breaking the speed limit was removed from you. You could go out and drive as fast as you wanted to right past the cops and they couldn't pull you over and give you a ticket. Everybody's pointing at Tracy. I followed her one time. I think she is free from that law. I was impressed. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. So then, why does the devil seem to have so much power, right? I mean, you watch Hollywood and you think, oh my goodness, there is a cosmic battle coming. Or maybe some bad eschatology that makes you think that we got to be really afraid of the power of the devil coming. That's all I'm going to say about that. 2 Corinthians 10. We're going to start. We're going to go 3 through 6. <clears throat> Pull that down just for one second. That, that's, another, that's another pantheistic, Gnostic, or, or not so much Gnostic, but pantheistic, um, I don't really even know, maybe Sam you can help me out, but this idea of dualism. Like in that spiritual dimension there, is a, there are opposing good and evil forces that are battling for the souls of humankind. You know, the devil would like to make you think that he's as powerful as God and he's fighting for you to destroy you. That's dualism. That, that, that's, that is so far from the truth that the devil is not, doesn't have the capacity to fight God, to keep God from blessing you. You know, maybe we need to talk about Job next week. Job said, oh my gosh, I was wrong. And God said, yes, you were. I forgive you. Anyway, that's Job in a nutshell. <laughs> All right, let's look at this passage here. Because, so, so what is it that we're dealing with? Yes, demonic entities are real. I get it. I don't want to invalidate this. Let me put this in there. You, as a powerful, anointed child of God, have the capacity to administer ministry to other people and cast demons off of them or away from them. I don't want to invalidate that. I'm mostly talking about your personal life, your domain of your heart in your world, and how you can just not have to mess around with that enemy just by believing the truth. But yeah, absolutely with other people, we have that capacity. I mean, we're charged. Go into the world, um, you know, cast out devils. That's what we do. Jesus did it. He told us to do it, so we still do it. Now, we hope that any devils that you cast off of other people, those people become established in the truth and they don't let those devils come back. Right. <clears throat> so what is it that we are dealing with? Where do you live in regard to the enemy. What does your fight look like? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Keep it on verse 4 for a minute. See, a lot of what we call deliverance or what we call fighting the devil or, or a spiritual warfare is actually very carnal because it's a struggle it's done from the 
perspective of flesh as if I'm engaging somehow with this entity and I've got to fight it and push it and it's got to go and it's got to respond to me rather than just standing in the truth of who you are in Jesus and it looking at you and just like Jesus said, the enemy comes and he has nothing in me. Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. The way that you resist the enemy is not an active, progressive, or aggressive fight. It's standing in the truth. And then the enemy comes and he says, okay, spiritually, there's nothing in them that I can get a foothold in because they've already been washed clean. I can't go into the holy of holy that's in them. Physically, I have no law to hold against them to condemn them with because God's already removed that too. Jesus took care of that too. So now let me deal with their thoughts. I'm going to fight them in their thoughts. I'm going to make them believe things that aren't true so that because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's what the, the enemy tries to do. Play around in your thoughts to get you in agreement with him because what you believe and think, you're going to make decisions accordingly and that's going to be what manifests in your life. You want a different tomorrow? Think differently than you did yesterday. But you have to yield to God's influence. He will teach you the truth. He will teach you wisdom. And it's not necessarily a message that you get as much as it is an intuitive way of living and believing. You know, that's where you, get, that's where you got to interact with the Holy Spirit. I can't teach you that part. So <clears throat> a lot of what we see in spiritual warfare is actually pretty carnal. It sounds spiritual. It's more mystical. But it's carnal because it's done from a perspective of a struggle. Any sense, any sense of when you're trying to pray for somebody, even when you're casting out a devil, you're not actually struggling with that devil. I have cast out devils before. Mm-hmm. And the way that I've done it is usually it comes by a word of knowledge that I have for that person that I give to them that focuses, focuses them on the truth of what Jesus did for them. Then they make a decision to believe that truth, then that enemy leaves. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every time I've ever done it, that's the way it's happened. I don't fight with them. I don't yell and scream and all that stuff. That's, that's carnal. So let's go to verse 5. <clears throat> this is how you fight the enemy more than anything, is casting down imaginations or vain imaginations. In other words, imaginations about yourself. When you're sitting there and fantasizing about how bad your world and your life is as influenced by the enemy, that's what you have to cast down. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, that's what you're casting down, anything that exalts itself against the truth, essentially. Bringing into captivity every demon and making it submit to Christ. Tying up the devil and throwing him into the pit, and he keeps getting out, and i got to keep tying him. One guy's tied, binding, one guy's loosening, and next thing you know, we're standing on necks. What are you bringing into captivity? Okay. In every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, you ask the thought, the question. You're struggling with something where you're trying to believe the truth. The question that you ask yourself is, what did Christ's obedience accomplish in this area? You're not trying to bring the devil to Jesus and make it submit to him. You're not trying to say, angels, come and smite this devil. Like, we think that that's the way we're going to make the devil submit to the obedience of Christ. Like, it has to obey Christ. We're not talking about getting demons to obey Christ and leave. We're talking about your thoughts being in agreement with what the obedience of Jesus accomplished. Jesus was obedient to the death of the cross, and he learned patience and he learned humility, and because he was obedient to the death of the cross, he died. He took upon himself your sin. He became your sin. He died and went into the grave to to gain all authority and all power over every place that a human could go, even into the deepest parts of Hades. He went in there, remained faithful toward God, and gained capacity and power and authority over that area so he could give you authority, and power over death. This is better than y'all are acting. I know it's deep, but I mean, this is the gospel. So what you're doing, your spiritual warfare that you do, 
is not fighting the devil. It's not trying to figure out why the devil came into your life. It's not looking at the state of your household and thinking, what is the devil trying to do? You know, you're not a palm reader. You're not looking externally at the circumstances in the world and trying to discern the will of God. That, people do that a lot. This happened in my life. What is God trying to do? This happened in my life. What is the devil trying to do? It's pretty easy. Devil's trying to kill you. God's trying to bless you. <laughs> what is it that believe is in the heart of the people that's allowing that stuff to manifest? That's, that's the real issue. And so you got to bring those thoughts captive to what Christ was obedient to, specifically pointing you back to your righteousness in him. It's all about Jesus. You can pull that down. That's what he does. Through the discourse of Colossians 1 and 2, he brings you to the undeniable truth that God is real, he's personal, he's interactive, he is revealed in Jesus, you are in touch with him, he's not separate from you, you have been changed internally so that you are actually connected to him and the victory that he's won over any darkness that you think that you're encountering is your victory as well. Now, fight the battle in your mind and believe it. You know, I mean, this believing thing is harder than it looks, but that's what it all comes down to. If we could just get believers to believe, we'd be doing pretty good. That's what's left for you. That's the battle that you fight. That's why you've been given capacities like tongues, not to be spiritual or be charismatic or make God happy because you're doing all that stuff, but because you are yielding every ounce that is in you to God, and he's doing everything he can to make true outwardly what he's already done inwardly. And that includes you never, ever being ashamed and tormented by the devil ever again. And I've been there. I know what it's like. I've heard the voices for a while it happened and faced the fear and all that stuff. And, the, and he's still lost, not because of my strength, but because of his weakness. My story is not a testimony of my strength. It's a testimony of just how weak the devil is. I was lost on my way to hell, possessed as it gets, believing every lie the enemy told, even that I was dead and I was no longer in this realm. But Jesus... I mean, I'm telling you, man, I can still see it and I can feel it. I had this vision of Jesus hanging on the cross and it was like he was looking at me from 2,000 years ago. I'm, I'm, I'm making this up, but I think it might be pretty accurate. I think God might have helped Jesus see into eternity and all those people that would benefit and all those people that would be washed clean by what he was. Like this tidal wave of just his, his blood just came and just washed, you know. I think that was the moment I got born again when I understood the cross. I was sitting on the sofa in Tyrone. Powerful. That's what it's all about. Believe it. Amen.